It's time for Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. For ambitious recruiters, it's never been tougher to get recognized as a trusted advisor and true partner to your candidates and clients. Join me each week as I address your challenges head on by answering questions from real recruitment consultants and business leaders. If you're looking for inspiration, strategies and tactics to help you make more placements, find more candidates or charge bigger fees, then stay tuned. Over the coming weeks, we'll be answering questions from ambitious recruiters everywhere. Real questions about the real challenges they face. And in doing so, ensure that you emulate the best of what's happening in recruitment right now, evolving your processes and approach to ensure that you are recruiting better. Over time, I'll be introducing guests to answer questions in areas of specialism outside of my own. But for questions on business development, account expansion, getting roles filled and sourcing candidates, as well as productivity, I've got you covered. If there's someone's opinion you'd like to hear on a given topic, let me know and I'll invite them on. And if you've got a question, all you need to do is share it by joining the Recruiting Better community. The link, as always, is in the show notes. Well, hello and welcome. This is the last episode of the year and the last episode in this particular series. So before I hang up my mic and put on my reindeer slippers, I've got four more questions and answers to share with you from the Recruiting Better community. We're going to be looking at how you can make the best of giving bad feedback to candidates, how you can win senior business in a competitive market, how you can train consultants to retain more information and perform better as they grow in their career, The last question is where to make a start on BD. So without further ado, let's get started, shall we? The first question is from a consultant called Mariella, and she wants to know a little bit about giving feedback to candidates. She says that although she's got more and more comfortable with it over uh, her years in recruitment, she can't help feeling like there must be better ways to pass on bad news to candidates. So let me share a few ideas around what you could be doing. Okay. So the things that are going to make it easier for you to give really good quality feedback to your candidates are things that you need to be addressing with your clients typically around the briefing. And it's all about that clear and open communication right from the start, both with the client and with the candidate. First of all, you're going to want to make sure that you've got clearly defined hiring criteria. That means that you know exactly what the client is going to be assessing the candidate on. If you can communicate that with the candidate up front, you may even find the candidate pulls out of an interview or even a whole um, kind of assessment process because they know that when it comes to a particular skill that might be getting assessed later down the line, they just simply don't have the experience to um, to answer that or deliver on those questions, to deliver on those expectations. So being really upfront with your client about exactly what they're looking for and communicating that to the candidate right from the outset is really key. And actually, Just as I say that, I don't mean purely knowing what your client is looking for. I really mean knowing what they're looking for, knowing how they're going to assess that and knowing what the minimum criteria, what the standards they're setting for people to have that right level of experience. So it might be, oh, my client says they need to have good communication skills. Well, first of all, how's that going to be assessed? 
And secondly, what kind of examples or um, criteria are they looking for? What sort of benchmark have they set for those communication skills? Next, you want to think about whether your client has really baked those decision-making criteria down to the essentials. You know, you don't want your client going in with things like um, charisma or, or personality on their decision-making list, because whilst that may be a factor in their decision, it's really difficult for your candidate to, uh, to succeed in that criteria. Next, you want to think about how well your client knows what they're looking for in terms of would they look at wildcards? Would they accept people with, with, with really different sets of background or experience? Because if they will rule those people in, if, they, if there is a possibility that they're going to look at these hiring criteria and say, no, the candidate didn't meet all of them, but we're going to hire them anyway, you really want to know that because you can talk to candidates about that in terms of the pre-interview prep and the pre-process prep. Then you've got to think about how your client is assessing each of those criteria. They're going to be using tests. Are they going to be using interviews? Are they going to be using different types of assessment panel interviews or presentations? And what kinds of criteria are going to be assessed at each one of those stages so that the candidate knows when they go into that uh, part of the process exactly why that is being run in that way and exactly what is being looked for at that stage. And then, of course, you're also going to want to be talking to your candidate about the full length and the full duration, the full content of the recruitment process before you get started. That's going to mean in your vacancy consultation or your job briefing, as I know a lot of you, them will, uh, a lot of you will know them as. Let's just go back over job briefing. But um, that means you're going to need to get that information from the client when you take the job briefing. How many stages, how many rounds, what specifically they're going to consist of and what they're actually going to test. And if you can let the candidate know that, then the post interview feedback is going to be so much more easy to give. You're also going to want to think about setting your candidate's expectations. So letting your candidate know something like my client's got a really high bar for this role. You know, they aren't just going to take somebody who meets some of the criteria. They aren't just looking for the best applicant right now. They're looking for somebody who exceeds all of the expectations in these five or six key areas. You'll only be successful in getting an offer if you do that. We believe, based on the conversation I've had with you and based on everything I've seen on paper, that you could be that person. But unless you convince the client through these assessment stages, we won't. They won't look to make you an offer. And so by being clear in those expectations with the candidate, you're already setting the bar quite high and you're already letting them know that this isn't a gimme. Giving feedback to candidates is made so much harder by the fact that we want our candidates to believe that they've got every chance of getting the role. Sometimes we're so enthusiastic about getting them thinking that it's a shoe in and it's nailed on and there's absolutely no chance that the client won't love them. But when we come back and say, actually, the client didn't think you were good enough, it really challenges their perceptions. It really it really kind of breaks their heart or, or frustrates them because they thought, you know, from what you told them, that it was a walk in the park. The opposite is true when you set expectations high. First of all, if you set expectations high, the candidate's more likely to do the work necessary to impress an interview. And secondly, when they come back to you and they say, hey, yeah, well, I... Um, Oh, sorry. When And secondly, when you come back to them and say, actually, the client had a really high bar, unfortunately, 
you didn't make it this time, instead of being annoyed that they didn't get pro- pro- progressed or feeling that the client was wrong, the candidate is actually grateful to you for putting them forward and grateful for you to making the opportunity available, even though you, even though that they knew it was going to be a difficult, um, a difficult kind of barrier to cross or a difficult line to get over. All of these things, that upfront communication around the process, how it works, what's being assessed, the timeline, the assessment stages and phases, and the setting of expectations with your candidate to let them know that it's not just going to be a walk in a park. Both of those things working in unison are really going to lessen the burden and lessen the load of the conversations when it comes to giving feedback to candidates. I know that by listening to this podcast, you are massively reducing the likelihood that you're going to get your candidates having. uh, Look, we both know that listening to this podcast will reduce the number of times you have to give bad feedback. That's one of the commitments I'm happy to make by spending time with me each week. You will uh, get more of your candidates offers. I don't know whether we can actually make that claim. But what I do know is that with the tips that I've shared here in this episode and in this answer, you will over time find it easier to give feedback. Let me know how you get on with those. I'm sure all of you listening will have some feedback to give this week. And let me know how the implementing the points that I've shared here will affect that for you. Thanks. Okay, so I've got a question here from a consultant um, who says, Ben, I'm coming up against more and more competitors and I'm struggling to uh, really overcome the question that clients ask when they say, why should we work with you instead of somebody else? Um, This is particularly impacting me when it comes to more senior roles and I'm really looking to get my average fees up by working on more senior placements. Have you got any thoughts? Do you know, Phil, as it goes, I do. Um, I actually use a a common frame of reference when it comes to beating the competition in this area, right? And the way I think of it is, is kind of related to the evolution of a salesperson. It used to be the case that a product could sell itself. All a salesperson had to do was present the features and benefits and make the purchase a no-brainer. Competition was few and far between, and the person who won the business was the one who could solve the problem, or at least could, tr- could solve the problem quickest. Over time, though, as competition grew, and particularly in the world of uh, recruitment, uh, salespeople had to become better at developing an understanding of their clients' unique situations and problems. We started to call this discovery, Right? And although it's not a really kind of formal step in recruiters' sales processes, it absolutely should be. Because the person who is able to most effectively and authentically learn about their client's specific set of challenges are typically the ones who end up winning the business. Or at least that was the case until probably the last maybe 10 or 15 years. Discovery was seen as the real differentiator and the ability to really understand your prospect and ask them really good questions and and work out what they needed was really powerful for me at the start of my career because what happened was as you go through that questioning process uh, your clients start telling you exactly what they need and selling to someone who tells you precisely what they need is so much easier than having to guess so i highly recommend a really robust discovery phase however 
these days, clients are more informed than ever, right? They know what their problems are, and they've probably got a good sense of how to solve them. They may even have a, prob- uh, a, a really good uh, way of measuring them, which can be a differentiator for, for some salespeople. So they're looking now to select a partner uh, based on a reason, and that reason is often price. Um, it can therefore feel as though everything has been commoditized, but I think that feeling is misplaced, and I'll explain why. <clears throat> See, while your clients... I'm going to say, see, while your clients... Three, two, one. See, while your clients may believe they know their problems, it's you, the expert in the field, the recruiting expert, the true professional, has the clearest insight into the problems that threaten their business. Your greatest level of value then isn't simply around the problems your client knows they have. It's in understanding existing threats that that they may have underestimated and understanding emerging threats that they haven't yet recognized. And then B, it's about having a unique take on the challenges facing them that enables you to resolve them better than anyone else. That knowledge and experience will allow you to address where a client might be underinvesting in a solution and creating a greater problem for themselves further down the line. It also enables you to provide a clearer context in which your client can make a decision, right? It is in your ability to sell a prevention rather than a cure. It's in that way that you stand out from the crowd best, whilst also becoming recognized as worth whatever you charge and certainly recognized as a a true partner and a, a truly consultative recruiter. So if you want to stand out from your competition, then you need to take control of the narrative, right? By owning the conversation around the trends and changes that threaten your client's business, you'll quickly position yourself as the only show in town and won't need to worry about uh, your competition quite so much anymore. When it comes to what exactly you see threatening your industry in 2023, it'll depend on your niche. But if we're looking for a generic starting point, then I'd probably consider including the fact that one, the world's gone bonkers. Global economic and political unrest have kind of pushed the cost of doing business up for everyone. And at the same time, a rapid rapid rise in cost of living has made every individual more conscious of their spending. So your clients are now more sensitive to price than they were at the start of the year. Number two, talent crunch, aka the inability to find anyone more relevant than a semi-qualified plumber to lead a multi-million pound change program. And that's only getting worse. So while your clients want to spend less, they need your help even more. The third issue is that the bots have landed. Um, You can call it spam if you like, but it works. Well, it works a bit. And given the low costs, there's a return on investment that lots of businesses are cashing in on. Um, They're probably undercutting you, particularly if you rely on local, highly skilled consultants to get the same results. And fourthly, uh, the disruptive culture of uh, the disruptive culture climate, right? The peace around COVID has accelerated a shift in everyone's priorities. And with DE&I and ESG and the future of flexible working, your clients have now got big thorny people issues at the top of their corporate agenda for the next few years. They're going to need much more from their trusted advisors. In a nutshell, then, employers want more for less, a time when there are fewer people with more complex demands. So that makes your life tricky. But in this obstacle, there is also a route forward. 
in helping your clients get more value out of the service you provide is where greatest differentiation comes. Uh, what I'm saying here is you cannot compete on price when everyone's automating and offshoring. We're going to get to a place where there is a service level for recruitment, which is sold at sort of 7 to 12% of fees. Really, really low cost based business that simply delivers CVs to a hiring manager's inbox. And then there is true consulting. Then at the other end of the market, there is this piece around true consulting, which means that you are taking expert insight, privileged information to your clients, which really differentiates. You might end up with a script that sounds something like the following. And if you don't want to use this verbatim, and I don't recommend you do use it verbatim, but it's definitely the right way of thinking. And, and this is how it goes. Underinvesting in a solution is easy. There are many recruiters right now that are happy to compete on price. We simply can't do that because our model means having a highly skilled local talent, having real conversations with professionals at all levels of this industry. In fact, we've deliberately chosen to offer a model that is more in-depth and requires a greater investment of time and resources because of the severity of the threat that the issues I've outlined above pose. Would it make sense for us to schedule some time to discuss these issues in more detail so that you have a full appraisal of the facts before making a decision? This is the natural evolution of the sales conversation from selling based on features and benefits to selling based on discovery to selling based on you having expert insights that your client simply doesn't yet have. And that is how best to stand out when you're competing with competitors for senior business. Now, just a quick question from one of our sponsors. I'm John Brooks, pricing guru to the recruitment stars. So here's my question. Do clients value recruitment? Let's ask the people at the top. We'll start with Richard Branson, who gets right to the point. There is nothing more important for a business than hiring the right team. Okay, how about the creative industry? Walt Disney gives us this magical perspective. You can dream, create, design and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. People say they'd kill to find out the secret to Steve Jobs' success. Guess what? He told us. The secret to my success is that we've gone to exceptional lengths to hire the best people in the world. If you justify your value, you justify higher fees, retainers, and a better relationship with your clients. Connect with me on LinkedIn and we can talk value. So look, I'm really pleased to have John on as a sponsor. If you haven't connected with him or spoken to him before, then I highly recommend reaching out. He does work that is unique in the recruitment industry and creates amazing value for his clients. So this question is from a recruitment manager who says, Hey Ben, I struggle to train my team, um, struggle to get them to absorb the knowledge from the training sessions and really put it into practice. Have you got any advice? 
but look, I was a fairly rubbish recruiter when I started out and I had to learn fast, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that I was kind of naturally gifted at the recruitment game. And it took me a long time to, to suss a few things out. Um, I started out with Robert Half and then moved to Puglia. And while I was there, just had to work significantly, you know, significant hours to, to build the muscle memory, to build the systems, to build the processes and the techniques that got me to emulate the results of my perhaps more naturally talented or more naturally effective peers. You know, I had colleagues who would just um, you just find recruitment and, and approach recruitment really naturally and really easy. But for me, it was a much harder slog to to learn it and figure it all out. And actually, as part of that learning and figuring it out, that probably enabled me to come back to the industry to um, to, to, to deliver training and build the business that I have. And I got it to some degree and I was able to emulate the success of my peers. But eventually one of my clients came along and said, would you like to come and work for us? And my first response was absolutely not. I knew I'd miss business development way too much to, to take that leap. And it took a lot of soul searching and conversations with them to really understand what they were looking to achieve. And they offered me the opportunity to go in and manage PSL, work very closely with the agency suppliers, work very closely with the business to help manage their candidate experience, but also to, to, to look at their assessment strategies and work out if their hiring could be made any better. Um, it's much more of a project role than most internal recruiters um, ever end up in, and I was really grateful for it. But what it also taught me was a hell of a lot about understanding things from a client's perspective. And I think when I think about your question Steve yes it's difficult training recruiters but the best place to start the place that I always start is thinking about what do I what do I want as a client from a recruiter what do I experience as a client from recruiters so I don't know whether you have any exposure to rectorex or hiring or interviewing or anything like that but really getting a sense of what your clients demand and what your candidates demand and passing that on to recruiters rather than thinking, how do I turn somebody into a great recruiter? Think instead, how do I create or, or help a recruiter become the kind of consultant their clients want them to be? This is all the sorts of stuff that I share as part of the consult, the true consulting playbook and the approach that I share through all my coaching, training and mentoring is fully based on the experiences I had and learned whilst working alongside senior leadership and, 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 and key stakeholders. And I guess there's something in training delivery as well that I learned, because when I was at Venn Group, all of the training that I shared and delivered was um, very classroom based and very, funny enough, actually, the training that we delivered was very transactional. Recruiters would rock up for a day, they'd leave with the information, and whether they went on to apply it or not was kind of left up in the air. So when I built my business, I constantly was looking for ways to deliver training that recruiters came in, could apply, adapt to their own circumstances and keep using over a long period of time, whilst also understanding the fundamentals and the basics of the, um, the essential techniques that they need. I found quite quickly that Recruitment 101 was a limiter for good recruiters that focusing on the basics actually held great recruiters back and that going beyond that was what they needed to do in order to to really step up and that the basics were taught so early but not really built upon that they meant that effectively you've got somebody who has been taught how to 
bill 120 grand a year who's now being expected to bill 200 250 300 and the methodology that they were taught at the start with all the training wheels and stuff just didn't really cut it for a lot of the people that i was seeing trying to get through that um through through those milestones so i changed the approach um now whenever a recruiter comes to training with me they've volunteered for it they've selected it they have had coaching conversations with me to start with to say this is what i want to achieve in terms of increased billings and these areas are priorities for me in terms of getting there so my specific advice steve in terms of delivery would be work out what everybody in your team can achieve in terms of increased billings then sit down with them and ask them what they think a realistic target within that range is. So you might have consultant Anna, who can get 20%, consultant Bill, who can get 30% more next year. And then ask them, work through with them a series of modules and say, which of these do you think is going to have the biggest impact in transforming your results? Which area do you think you need to invest in most in order to hit that 20 or 30%? And tell you what, you make you pick two and I'll pick one for you, providing you agree we can go forward on that basis. So you've now got three modules, three priorities that each consultant's working towards that they believe is going to help them achieve that increase of 20 or 30% more billings. Then when you sit down to do the training with them, they're fully invested in it. And as you go through that conversation, as you're delivering that training, you're sharing specifically why that's going to help them or how that can help them get to the point that they need to be in terms of their numbers. It's a really structured strategy. It's one that I've been using for a while now, and it just helps ensure that everybody's much more of a participant in training rather than just a, a receiver of training, if that makes some sense. It's amazing to think how far I've come from being a crappy recruiter when I started out, working so bloody hard to, to work it all out, to, to having some, certainly not all of the answers now, um, and being able to share those experiences with, with recruiters as I go through the journey. So look, I guess the, th the other thing to say is if you find any of this useful, let me know. And if you want any more help, then um, there'll be some ways to get in contact in the, uh, in the show notes. I hope that helps. Cheers, Steve. Good luck. So the next question is all about business development and it comes from a manager who wants to know at what stage I believe recruiters should be let loose on clients, at what point they should be focused on business development and at what point the manager should expect to start seeing results. Okay, let's imagine this from a new recruiter starting out on BD. Um, you might be thinking, how many calls should they make in the first week? Um, and the reality is that it's possible they might end up making none. Here are the three steps that I would recommend that anyone stepping into BD nail before they look to start selling. The first part, part one, is know who you're targeting. That means making a specific map of target companies, being really specific, look, I recently worked with a consultant who told me that their niche was West Coast SaaS vendors with 100 to 1,000 employees. But that isn't a niche. It's not niche enough. We've got to get deeper. We've got to be thinking about who are the people, who specifically are the stakeholders that you're talking to, what specific challenges and experiences are they uh, coming up against, and even really tightening down that niche to the number of employees and the type of um, SaaS vendor that they are. 
Secondly, in terms of targeting, you also want to be identifying target contacts, creating the list of people rather than the companies. And ideally, you want to be targeting three people from each firm. If you can't find three people to sell to within every business, for the moment, leave it. And the reason for that is, if you've got multiple stakeholders, you're much more likely to be able to build consensus. You're much more likely to increase the customer lifetime value by being able to cross-sell and recruit different roles across their organization or the team, your team are going to be able to do that. And if you can't find three people to sell to or three people who you think have challenges or problems that you're specifically focused on solving, then it may be that the problem isn't that great for the company that you're talking to. But that said, just because you can't find three people now doesn't mean you're going to keep them off your list forever. And it may take a bit more research. But for getting up to speed quickly at the start, it's important that, yeah, you're you're focusing on companies where you've got multiple stakeholders. I think about it like um, building a, or, or pitching a tent, right? We want to be nailing down or, 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 or kind of pegging down as many of the, the guy ropes as we can to really hold that relationship. Um, to really hold that relationship down. So yeah, you're going to want a peg in each of the four corners, but you might want some around the sides as well. And then the third part of this is prioritizing the list. To kick off business development, you want to be adding about 20 or 30 contacts to your prospecting list each week. But focusing on completing a sequence with the first 20 to 30 before you add anybody else in. Um, it's really easy for recruiters to kind of try and build a really big list. I spoke to another recruiter recently who's mapping 3,000 businesses, really looking to segment. And the reality is he probably only needs to sell to 50 people over the next uh, 12 months in order to in order to hit his target. Um, so, yeah, there's a big um, kind of focus for recruiters on volume but actually taking 20 to 30 people through your system first will also give the opportunity to see what works try and test it rather than focusing on volume only to find out that you're really really busy doing the wrong things once you've got that list of who you're targeting you want to think about how you're reaching them and that's going to involve mapping out your sales sequence. Now, when you think of selling to people, you probably think about emails and calls. But you also think about how you might use voicemails, videos, voice notes and texts, and when in the sequence you're going to do that. What I mean by that is it might be the right thing to do to identify a target, try and call them and email them on the first day. It might be the right thing to do to wait a day before following up with a call and an email. But how many calls do you make to them before you leave a voicemail? At what point do you involve a video or a voice note? At what point do you go to the brazen step of sending them a text? Really thinking about where you include different methodologies in your sequence is something that we haven't historically had to do. I mean, it used to be the case that if I had a client and I called them on the Monday, if I call, call them again that week, really just depended on whether I remembered to or not. But you guys have got so much more sophisticated CRMs, tools, and even automations that will help you do that. And even if you don't have the tech stack to do that, then making sure that you get really disciplined about it by diarizing and scheduling your activity is absolutely key. Moving on, we then want to define what the next step in the process is. So 
if I was working if I was working with a new consultant, yes, I'd be really focused on getting them up and running with BD, but I'd also want to be showing them precisely what the vacancy consultation process looks like. That's my uh, framing of a, a job brief. We know that job briefs don't really work and that doing something more than a job brief um, is essential to overcome most of the problems that recruiters face. But regardless of where you are with your job brief um, or vacancy consultation, you want a new consultant to see what the next stage is after they've won the business um, before they start calling people and talking to them. Otherwise, you get to the point where your consultant is saying, yeah, look, we can do all this X, Y, and Z. The client says, how? But the recruiter can't really take the client through what that job intake or that job onboarding process looks like. The final part of this puzzle in terms of getting up to speed with BD is knowing exactly what to say. Um, so you've mapped out who you're targeting, you've mapped out how to reach them. You're now thinking very specifically about your messaging. And this will involve creating your content. So for example, a seven touch email sequence would take me maybe half a day to write and I know what I'm doing. So for a rookie that could easily take a day unless they're borrowing templates from their colleagues, which I highly recommend that they don't unless those templates have been very clearly vetted. When we're thinking about messaging, we're not just talking about um, sending a message saying, hey, I emailed you on Monday, did you see it? Our sequence has got to be much more effective than that. And at some point in the podcast, I'll also be answering a question around the, the, the way that we use that email sequence to do that. In fact, look out for that because that's going to be happening in uh, the next episode, episode two. We use this as an opportunity to identify some key messages that will come up in every area of your sales conversation. So this drafting phase of your messaging might involve listening to calls, talking to consultants, talking to candidates, talking to favorable clients, looking at the feedback that you've got, the reviews and testimonials, really isolating and identifying what your clients' challenges were and problems were, and what it is specifically about your business and your approach that solves them. In fact, one of my favorite techniques for this is putting a consultant in front of um, putting a new consultant along with an existing consultant to go and take feedback from a client. And that way, the new consultant is learning all the things that your client liked or disliked, would have done differently or, or wasn't expecting in your service. That really gives almost like nothing else gives your new consultant the opportunity and a really good skill set, really good understanding of how to sell what makes you different. That, of course, though, relies on the fact that you're taking feedback from your clients in the first place. Finally, you want to map your cold call script. And yes, I do suggest a script. People sometimes say with scripts, I don't like using scripts because I don't want to sound robotic. But think about your favorite film. Think about your favorite actor. Think about how compelling you find them. Think about how deep they take you into that scene and into that moment. And of course, everything that they say started as a script. It doesn't stay a script and they add a lot more to it, but it started as a script. The final piece of the puzzle then is putting it all together. Creating qualification questions for your inbound inquiries, if you've got new recruiters focusing on those as well. Um, unless you want your new recruiter working loads of jobs uh, straight away without the ability to build their skills to sell, 
then you need to um, you need to focus on your qualification checklist. You also want to practice objection handling over and over and over again. We used to have daily stand-ups uh, back at Puglia where we would be objection handling for half an hour before we got on the phone. Um, very Wolf of Wall Street, but exceptionally uh, effective in building that muscle memory. Um, and then the last part is setting expectations. What is the goal of business development? One of my favorite things and something I always recommend recruiters do within their first uh, within their first few weeks is limit the number of cold calls or, or, or outreaches you're allowed to make. So if you want somebody to make, uh, if, if you're targeting somebody and they you ideally want them to reach 30, just say, look, your maximum is 20. Your maximum number of calls that I expect you to make here is 20. But I want every single one of those conversations to be really good quality. In fact, if every one of those conversations isn't great quality, you aren't going to generate the business that we want to see you making. So... Getting there will take you 20 really high quality calls. Focus on 20 and no more, and that will drive the quality up. All of those elements will take time to work out. All of those elements will take time for your consultant to embed into their process, but they will all ensure that by the end of the first couple of weeks, your consultant has got a process to work from. And the beauty of having a process to work from is you can tweak it and develop it over time. It doesn't need to be a wholly new approach every time. What you're building at the start of your career is the toolkit that will last you a lifetime. Get it right and your results will skyrocket. Now, just a quick question for you. If you found anything useful in today's podcast, please give us a follow and give us a rating. All your reviews matter greatly to us and getting your feedback, particularly at this early stage of our journey, is really crucial. Right now, you have the opportunity to help shape and define the way the podcast goes in the future, not just through giving us a review, but also by joining the Recruiting Better community. Well, wasn't that a cracker? A whole set of ideas there to consider from turning down candidates to winning new business, getting the best out of training and making a start with BD. I hope you found those tips and tactics useful and worth finding ways to implement. And if you need any help, just drop me a DM. Now, all that's left for me to say is thanks for listening and have a very Merry Christmas and a sensational New Year.